I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and be turning to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we want to take a break from our expositions in the book of Ephesians to focus today on the theme of thanksgiving. It's an attitude that we should constantly have on our hearts as believers, and so for us to look at this today, I trust this will do us uh, much, much spiritual good today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to look at just one verse, verse 15, but I want us to read the entire chapter down to that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, there's going to be a lot of setup that we have to do here before we actually get to the verse, uh, but when we get there, I trust uh, we will be able to have a greater context for understanding what it's saying. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 really emphasizing this morning verse 15 but let's read all the way down to it beginning at verse 1 the apostle paul writes therefore since we have this ministry as we received mercy we do not lose heart but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of god but by the manifestation of truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of god And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And let me just read that last verse one more time. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to to abound to the glory of God. So what we have in these 15 verses here really is just a, it's a description of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. This is sort of his CV, his resume. And not just his resume, but notice he speaks not in the singular here. He doesn't say, I do not lose heart in verse 1. He says, we do not lose heart in verse 1. So it's not, it's not just the Apostle Paul's ministry here. It's the ministry of the Apostle Paul's and also the various ones here associated with him. 
So what we have here is we have this description that is given to us of the character of how they carried out their ministries in these verses. And really we can see a number of different things here. Before we get to our verse that we want to look at, the one in verse uh, verse 15, the one that talked about us giving thanks, but let's just quickly sort of summarize the characteristics of his ministry. Really the first thing we can see here is that his ministry was a ministry that was given to him by the mercy of God. Look at what it says there. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy. That speaks, first of all, of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul understood this. He understood, I am a sinner who is saved by grace. I am a sinner who is saved by the mercy of God. If it were not for the mercy of God, I would not be saved. And he understood that. And so knowing God's mercy in his own life, he did not lose heart when it came to, to ministering the Word of God to other people. And so the Apostle Paul could never look back and think about it. As he's giving the Word of God to people, he could never look back and say, well, they're just too bad for me to give the Gospel to them. They're just too far gone for me to give the Gospel to this person over here. He could never do that because he knew what God had done in his own case. And so he says, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. So he has his conversion in mind here. But not only does he have his conversion in mind here, the very fact that he got to be in ministry was also an expression of the mercy of God. Well, we don't serve in ministry because we deserve it. We don't serve in ministry because somehow we, we earned it. We serve in the ministry by God's grace. And I'm just not talking about pastors and elders. I'm not just talking about deacons. I'm talking wherever it is that you serve in ministry. It's all by God's doing. God has been gracious to you to give to you and equip you for that ministry. And so that's the first thing we realize here that his ministry was given by mercy. Second thing that we see here is that he describes his ministry as being genuine. Being genuine. It's, it's characterized by truth. And it's not just the message that he's preaching. It's also the methods that he is using to do this. Everything, the message and the methods, they were all of it was characterized by truth. Look at what he says here in verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. I like the way the ESV puts it better. It says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Disgraceful, underhanded ways. I read online about a, a church, a big mega church, who had given out what they call turkey bucks. And so if you show up to church on today, it was actually this Sunday, if you showed up to church on this Sunday and you showed up with your turkey buck, well, you could exchange your turkey buck for a free turkey. And uh, I mean, that, I don't think there's nothing wrong in and of itself of giving away free turkey. But to do this in order to entice people to come and to hear the word of God, 
What Paul is saying right here is, is our ministry is not characterized by things like that. We, we don't use gimmicks. We don't use things like this to try to, to sort of bait and switch people, have them come in for one thing and then try to give them something else. No, he says there is integrity in our ministry. We have a ministry that is above reproach. We have a ministry here that is straightforward. And it says to you, we, the only thing we're calling you to, we're not calling you for free benefits or this or that. We're calling you to come and to hear and to listen that you need God. You need to be saved. The problem is you are sinful and you need a Savior, one who will stand in your place and receive the condemnation of God that allows you to go free. And this is what you need. And so Paul says that was our ministry. Our ministry was one of being above board, ministering in an above board fashion. We're simply bringing the gospel to you is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he goes on to say in verse 2, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. Not, not adulterating. In other words, not, not tampering with the Word of God. In other words, he's saying, look, we're going to come to you with the Word of God and, and, and we're not going to take the rough edges off of it. Uh, we're not going to exchange God's thoughts for our thoughts. We're going to come to you with the unadulterated, untampered with Word of God. And this is what we're going to give to you. And then he says in verse 2, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so this is what characterizes his ministry. What have we seen so far? It's a truthful ministry. It is a genuine ministry. It's a sincere ministry. And it was a ministry that's given to him by the mercy of God. Third thing that we can see here. He speaks of their ministry as being characterized by a knowledge of the challenges that they were facing. He knew the challenges that they were facing. But what, what do we face whenever we are willing and wanting to preach the Word of God this way in the world that we live in? What, what are we going to come against? What do we face? Well, look at it. He describes it right here in verses 3-6. through six. He says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, you know what we have to deal with? We have to deal with depravity. We have to deal with sinful depravity. And it, as if that is not bad enough, he's also saying we have to deal with the devil. Well, we, we are dealing not only with man's sinful depravity, we are dealing with a real spiritual enemy as well who works to blind the minds of those to whom the gospel is being preached, who seeks to, to hide the light of the glorious gospel. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's understanding what he's dealing with. 
when it comes to lost people. He also understands what is necessary for people to be saved. And so in verses 3 through 6, he's saying, here's the reality of what we're dealing with, okay? here When we want to bring the Word of God to people, here's the challenge that is out there. Here's what we're dealing with. We understand that. And that understanding also characterized his ministry. And then in verses 7 through 12, he mentions something else here. Fourth, he says that their ministry was characterized by suffering. There was true hardship that was there. Uh, there, were, there were tests that were there. And yet all of this, if you can imagine it this way, it's almost as if he says, it's almost as if we're, we're being crushed, but we're not. But, but almost as if, okay, this, this crushing, this, this affliction we're going through is just bringing us down, down, down. So it's almost as if we're being crushed and there's an aroma that is coming off. And it is the aroma of Christ that goes forward because of our hardship, because of our suffering. And so, we understand, Paul is saying, that God is glorified in this. He's glorified in our hardship. He's glorified in our testing. He's glorified through suffering. Look again at verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels, just jars of clay. God has chosen to take His message, this glorious message of the Gospel, and He has chosen to make that glorious message known through what? Through clay pots. Through just jars of clay. Why does He do it that way? It's so that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It is to show that. To show that this is not about this one who is communicating the message. No, this is about the God that is being communicated. He is the one who has the power. He is the one who is actually taking these people out of the kingdom of darkness, bringing them into the kingdom of light. How does that take place? How does that happen? How do you explain that? How do you explain something that magnificent taking place, that happening? Well, you don't explain it by you. You don't explain it by you knowing the Word of God so well. You knowing evangelism verses so well. I mean, listen, you may be good, but I want to tell you, you're not that good. You're not that good. No, as, as great as you are at, at going out and evangelizing people, you need to realize we are all still just earthen vessels. That is all that we are. We are not the reason, no matter how, how wonderful you can give the God. And listen, we applaud that. You need to be studying. You need to know how to share the gospel with people. You need to know the passages and the verses that speak to that. But at the end of the day, you are not the reason for someone truly coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. No, God has chosen to use to use clay pots. He's chosen to use uh, cracked pots, not crack pots, but cracked pots in order to give this, this wonderful, it might not be cracked pots, but let me tell you what he has chosen to use, okay? It's the next little bullet point in my nose. He has chosen to use foolishness. How about that? He's chosen to use foolishness because it shows his power to convert a sinner. And he makes known that by using the foolishness of the gospel and the foolishness of preaching. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is what? Foolishness, right? To those who are perishing, but to us, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So by using the foolishness, the foolishness that is the gospel, the foolishness that is you, the foolishness that is me, by using this foolishness, God is made known to be powerful in His saving work when He saves sinners. And Paul goes on to describe in verses 8-12 through how they're afflicted, how they're perplexed, how they're persecuted. But he says, we are not forsaken. We are not left alone. All of this may be happening to us, but Christ, Christ is right there with us. And through it all, God is showing Himself to be so very mighty in all of this. And then in verses 13 and 14, he mentions something else. Fifth, he says that their ministry was characterized by resting in the Lord. Resting in the Lord. I mean, listen, these folks really faced death. I mean, they faced death. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I mean, they were really facing death. Preaching the gospel, they're facing death. Someone mentioned in our, our prayer time in Sunday school that there was a man who was shot and, and almost killed and, and basically hanging on by a thread, a street preacher. Just a man who was preaching the gospel and he was shot for doing that. I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul says here, that was an everyday occurrence for us. For us to get up in the morning and start heading out to our day, that was a very, very, very real possibility for us. He says, I die daily. And yet, they're not dissuaded because they understood something else. Look at verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Why do we speak the gospel? He says here, because we believe it. That's why we preach the truth. Why do we preach the truth? Because we believe it. Now, look at verse 14. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. And so no matter how much they were persecuted, no matter how much they were threatened, and even if they faced death here, they were not afraid to just keep on keeping on and just to go on preaching the truth because they knew this. You know what? You may, you may actually kill me, but you need to understand something. We believe there is a resurrection day coming. There's a resurrection day. And we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. We will be with the Lord. And they believe these things. Alright, so this is what characterized their ministry. It was characterized by mercy. It was characterized by dependence on the truth. They had an above board approach to sharing the gospel. They understood the challenges that they were facing in the world with sinners and with salvation and even Satan who was trying to blind them. They're, they're being afflicted, but they know this is glorifying to God. They're resting in the Lord. We may die any day, but we rest in the Lord even knowing that because we believe in a future resurrection. All of that. But then he mentions one other thing. He says in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, 
so that the grace, the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause, here it is, the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. We are going through all of this, he says. We are engaging in all of this because we know this as God's grace spreads out to more and more and more and more people, as it extends out to more and more and more people, people are saved. People are converted. And you know what that does? That increases thanksgiving. It increases thanksgiving and that glorifies God. And so with all of that ramping up to this, okay, I just want us to consider this today. What is the view of thanksgiving we should have? What does it mean to really give thanks in this aspect? And then what is the connection between that and the grace of God, the elect of God, and the glory of God, okay? So you notice we just got one point in our bulletin today, right? So what thanksgiving is, okay? Let's just think about that. It's on our hearts, it's on our minds this time of year. So what is thanksgiving? Let's, let's think about that. So notice again, he says in verse 15, he says, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What is thanksgiving? Well, first of all, let me just give you a little bit of Greek, not for Greek's sake, but there's just something very interesting that's here in the Greek text that just really doesn't fly out of this when you just read it in English. But the word for grace is the word charis. And then the word for thanksgiving is the word eucharista. So do you, do you hear that? Because so grace, charis, thanksgiving, eucharista. There's that word charis in the middle of that word. And so you hear those two words there. And as John Piper said, I believe he's so right, you could translate this grace and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. So you could think of it this way, that okay, as you have grace, and the more and more that grace is extended to people, well then, the more and more gratitude should be extended to the glory of God. And so that's what he's saying here, that there's a connection between grace and and gratitude, grace and gratitude. So how does that happen? What is that connection? How does grace relate to gratitude? Well, one thing, and you already know this, it almost goes without saying, that thanksgiving is more than saying thank you. Thanksgiving is more than just merely saying thank you. You can say thank you and not really be giving thanks, right? I mean, we can do this. I mean, don't you agree with that? You can say thank you just by way of being uh, polite. Uh, you can say thank you because, well, I better say it because it's expected of me and just not really mean it. You're saying thank you, but you're not really meaning thank you. So it's more than just saying thank you. And even with God, if, if we really are giving thanks to God, It's more than just saying thank you. It's more than just us praying and saying, God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. Because we can say thank you to God, but at the same time, not really being engaged in thanksgiving. So it's more than that. So if it's more than that, well, what is it? Well, if I can sum it up in one word, I would say it is delight. It is delight. One aspect of it is delighting in what you have received because you're not really thankful over something until you rejoice, until you have joy in 
what you have been given, right? I mean, think about it. Let's just, let's just give sort of an illustration about this. Uh, Christmas morning, and you know, uh, the, the, the kids or, or maybe mom has given you this Christmas gift, and you open it up, and, and it's that pair of socks there, right? And what do you say when you get the pair of socks? You say, come on guys, thank you, right? And, and, and not long after that, okay, the, the little lid on the box is put over it, the socks are put to the side, you, you know, you're going through the trash, everyone's putting the, the trash in the trash and putting the gifts where they go, and very soon during the day or maybe that evening, those socks find their way to the sock drawer, right? And they're just incorporated in, the, in like the flow of the rotation, right? And, and how often do you think when you pull those, that pack of socks or those pairs of socks out, do you go back and you think about the giver? Probably never again, right? And so, so you said thank you for those socks, but you, but you weren't really thankful because there was just not much delight in that. There was not just, there was not much joy. There's not much rejoicing over what you had. Maybe closer to what we would, we should say is we appreciate them because we do, right? It's good to have socks when you need socks, but, but to be thankful for it. And it's just even more than that. It's more than just not having joy over something because, again, think about Christmas time. You can have children who have great joy over something, great joy over something. They, they receive this thing, and, and they're so overjoyed with it that, that, that they run off, right? And you, you, have to, you have to grab them and say, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. You need to tell Grandma... Thank you. You need to tell mom thank you or whoever it is thank you so that they're just so overcome with delight and joy over the thing that they just want to go off and head away and be with it. And you have to go, whoa, hold on, little Johnny. You need to come back and you need to say thank you for the gift that you have been given. So they delighted in what they received, sure enough, but in that situation, they were not delighting in the person who gave them that gift. And so true gratitude is not just simply saying thank you. It is saying thank you from the heart. From the heart. You rejoice in what has been given. And it means that the rejoicing is not just in what has been given, but the rejoicing really is centered on the person who gave it to you. I'm so grateful to you for giving me this thing that I can delight in. That's what thanksgiving is. That's what thanksgiving is. We can also say this about what thanksgiving is. True thanksgiving, real thanksgiving. Second, there's a sense of the undeserved nature of what we have been given. The undeserved nature of what we've been given. I think we can easily illustrate it this way. Uh, Let me just ask you a question. I'm going to ask for participation here. How many of you received a paycheck this month? Raise your hand. Okay, raise them up high. All right, now, all right, put them down. All right, now let me ask you, how many of you wrote and sent a thank you note for whoever gave you that paycheck? Raise your hands very high. Not a single hand in the place that I can see, right? Not a single hand in the place, all right? Now, what's that? Okay. (laughs) 
So why don't we do that? Well, you might say, well, you know, and again, we're not saying it's not proper to express thanks to to your your boss or your job for for, for what you have, but but you didn't write a check for that because at the end of the day, you believe you're getting that check, you're getting something from them that because you gave something to them. You gave your time, you gave your effort, you gave your work, and you earned that paycheck. And so you gave them something in exchange for what they gave you, and that is true. But but when you say thank you, and when you are delighting in the gift, and when you're delighting in the giver, you're doing that because you didn't expect what was given to you. You didn't expect this thing. You're doing that because you didn't expect it. You were you were surprised that they gave this to you. To you. Here you are, and here's this thing. It was given to you, and you're surprised that it would be given to you. And so you're so thankful for it. And you understood that you don't deserve what was given to you. So you see, there's this relationship here between grace and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. In fact, we can say it this way. The greater the sense of gratitude, the greater the sense of the pricelessness of what you have been given. And yet at the same time, we think about our Savior. We think about God and we think about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He gave to us. And the greater the sense that we didn't deserve that. Not a single one of us deserved the second person of the Trinity coming into this world, taking on flesh to Himself, living in this world sinlessly, and then going to a cross to die for the sins of sinners, being treated as if He had committed those sins instead of the ones who were believing in Him, that they had committed those sins. And so what a great gift this is. And the greater that we sense that, that this is such a rich gift, this is such a great gift, this is such a costly gift, and then look at this gift, and we say everything about this gift that we can, and then, and then we say, and this gift is given to whom? To me? Someone who doesn't deserve anything like that. In fact, if I deserve anything from God, it's the opposite of that. I don't deserve a grace gift from God, the Lord Jesus Christ dying for my sin. I deserve justice. I deserve His fiery punishment. I deserve condemnation. That's what I really deserve. So when I don't get that condemnation, I don't get that judgment, I don't get justice extended to me, and instead I get a gift like that, well, what do you say? You say thank you, right? And you really mean thank you, right? Thank you, God. Thank you for this this precious, precious gift that I did not deserve. I, I can hardly even fathom it. So there's this relationship between grace and gratitude. But there's something else here. Look again at verse 15. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes. All the stuff that he's just described here, he says here. And all these verses we just read. All the stuff he says we go through. You know, this perplexing, almost being crushed, but we're not actually crushed, but we're so close to it. The perplexing nature of what we go through. All of the challenges, all of the tests, all of these things. He says, it is for your sakes. He says, I'm doing it all for you. I'm doing all of this for you. What would you think today if... uh, if 
if, if I'm standing out at the door and, and we're going out and, and, and you all are so gracious and so kind and, and, and by your graciousness and kindness, I, I get comments like this so many times where you would come out and you would say, you know, Pastor, we, 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 we just appreciate you. We thank you for the work you do in ministry. We thank you for your faithfulness in preaching the word. Now, let me ask you something. If, 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 if I just sort of looked at you and said, well, I want to tell you, Everything that I do in ministry, I do it for you. What would you say? You'd probably say, no, you, no, no, you do it for the Lord, right? I mean, you do these things for the Lord. You're, you're serving the Lord in, in all of this. You, you don't do it for us. Now, there may be an aspect of where we're the recipients of it, but you're not doing this for us. But I want you to notice, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Look at it. He says, for all things are for your sakes. And by the way, that's just not a one-off. That's not the only place that he says something like that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. He wrote this, For this reason I endure all things, listen, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Now, we know what he means right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, when he says, for all things are for your sakes. He says, I'm doing all of this for you. And so what, he's, what is he talking about when he says you? Well, he's talking about the group that he's talking about here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's talking about the elect. He's talking about those who are the chosen of God, those who were chosen by God, for salvation before time ever began. And by grace, by grace they are given that salvation in time. You see, we need to understand that none of, none of us deserve salvation. So for God to lovingly, mercifully, graciously choose even one person for salvation, how much should He be praised for how much should he be glorified for? Remember, the gift and the, the one who receives it, right? How magnificent is a gift? It's Christ. Christ dying on the cross. Who's it given to? A, a, a sinner, a downright dirty sinner who deserves nothing but justice. And yet if there was just one, just one that Christ said in eternity past, I will select, the, all of them deserve justice. But I will take this one and I will shower this one and only one with Christ and the salvation that comes from Christ. How worthy of praise would our Lord be for that? And yet it's not just one. It's a multitude that just cannot even be numbered. And so Paul says, we do all of this for them. There are people chosen by God for salvation before time began. And we know that if we will just carry out this ministry of mercy faithfully, we know if we'll just preach the word and we do it above board, we do it truthfully, we know God will certainly, through the means of that, through the instrumentality of that, He will certainly do this work whereby He brings them to salvation. In other words, we need to keep on working faithfully in the ministry because people are going to get saved. They're going to get saved. And so that's what He's saying. And so we endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. It's all for your sake so that as God extends grace to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. 
People are saved. They are made aware of God's grace to them in Christ. They come to Christ in true saving faith because God gives them that gift of a new heart to believe. And so they're saved. They're forgiven of their sins. They're reconciled to to God. They become aware of who they really are in Adam. This is who I really am. Uh, Up to this point, I thought I was really a pretty good person. Good in the community. Decent. Moral. But now that I see the true gospel for what it is. I understand that I am a son of Adam. I am a lost, condemned sinner. And now I come to Christ. And now I am a son of Christ. I am a forgiven sinner. And what the result is, is they experience that saving grace. Their heart is filled with gratitude. Gratitude. And so you don't just have more and more people experiencing grace. You have more and more people experiencing what? Gratitude. True thanksgiving. And as more and more people experiencing gratitude, what goes up to the Lord? That thanksgiving goes up to the Lord. And as thanksgiving goes up to the Lord, who is exalted? It is God. God receives the glory. It's all to the glory of God. And so He says... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that, here's the purpose behind it, because so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes so that, again, purpose statement, so that, the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. I endure all this, the Apostle Paul says, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those people who are chosen by God, knowing that as God's grace spreads to more and more people, gratitude will be present and thanksgiving will be lifted up and God will be glorified. That is what he's saying here. And by the way, let me ask you, believer, how should we live our lives every single day? We should live it to the glory of whom? God. And so how much should Thanksgiving be on our hearts every single day because of this amazing grace that we've been given? So let me just finish today by asking just a a few questions as as we seek to apply this. First of all, let me ask this. Have you ever thought of this as a motivation for evangelism? Have you ever thought about this as a motivation for evangelism? How many of us are called by God to share the gospel? If you're a believer in this place, your answer to that would have to be all of us, right? We're all called to share the gospel. Why share the gospel? Well, probably most all of us would say, ultimately, well, it's for the glory of God. And that's right. That is why we share the gospel. We want our God glorified. We want to do it for the glory of God. But have you ever thought about sharing the gospel in relation to thanksgiving? To thanksgiving. Have you ever thought, you know what? As we share the gospel, God's grace is going to extend to more and more and more people. And as more and more and more people become acquainted with the grace of God, i.e. they're being saved, As more and more people do that, their hearts will be filled with gratitude. And as their hearts are filled with gratitude, what they will lift up and what they will offer to God is true thanksgiving and God will be glorified. So now, why do we want to share the gospel? 
Why do we don't want to go out and do evangelism? Because we want someone to hear us give them the gospel. And we want someone to experience the grace of God. We want them to be a, a person who, like us, we know that we have been forgiven of great sins. I know God has forgiven me of all my horrible, wretched sins. And I want that person to know that same thing as well. I want them to know the forgiveness of God. And we want them to be someone who knows that when I take my last breath, when I die, for me to be absent from the body, as Paul said, is to be present with whom? With Christ. No, 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 no debates about that. No wondering about that. It is to know that if I am not here anymore, then I am with Christ. I know that for a fact. Not because I'm so good, but because of what Christ has done. And we want them to be someone whose heart is so full of thanksgiving because that is what glorifies God. You know what characterizes the unbelieving world? What characterizes the unbelieving world is that they are not thankful. You think about what God does for sinners and saints alike. He gives us this beautiful sun that He shines down on all of us. He gives us all the rain, which, which, by the way, we're needing some, right? And He'll give it to us in His good time. But when He does, it's not just going to be, okay, well, here are two believers' houses, an unbeliever and another believer. Rain, rain, skip, and then rain. It's not going to happen that way. No, He's going to give that goodness to all, believer and unbeliever alike. And He provides for them. But when He provides for them, they are not thankful. You say, oh, well, man, I heard them say, man, I'm so thankful for the rain. Yeah, thankful, but they're not thankful to God. Not in this way. They can't be thankful to God in this way because they have no relationship to God. And so there may be some appreciation in their heart, but not when we're talking about grace and true gratitude. It takes salvation for someone to be thankful. And in that, God is then glorified. Second question, have you ever thought about this as a gauge of understanding God's grace towards you? A gauge of understanding God's grace towards you. You can ask the question like this. You can ask anyone here in this place, do you understand the grace of God? Oh yeah, I understand the grace of God. I definitely understand the doctrines of grace. And I can sit down and I can talk to you about it. I can have a one a one hour discourse on the grace of God. But as you gauge whether someone truly understands or does not understand the grace of God, based on this scripture, how can you know if someone has really come to understand the grace of God? How can you know that? Well, I think that we've seen this morning it is because their hearts, their hearts will be filled with what? With gratitude. You see, you can sit down and you can talk to someone for an hour about grace and that person not know a thing about gratitude in their hearts. And that is not experientially knowing the grace of God. Because if you experientially know the grace of God, you're going to know the gratitude that comes from that. You're going to know this. And you and I, if we're, if we're honest, we, we will have to say that that we go through periods of time, times in our life where, where we are just not as aware of the grace of God as we should be. And the reason 
that we know we're not aware of the grace of God as we should be is because guess what's absent? Gratitude is absent. Sometimes, sad to say, in a Christian's life, it may be hard. You may have to look high and low to find out where is the gratitude in this person's life right now? I want to tell you, we go through so much and we receive so much from the Lord that we just take for granted and we're not giving thanks as we should. And listen, you know this, any time you're in a period of your life where you are not grateful, you're going through this season of life and you're not grateful, it is because you are not conscious of God's grace to you. You're, you're, not, you're not aware of it. Because the more you're aware of the grace of God, the more your heart will be filled with thanksgiving. It will be filled with that. Because no matter what you're going through, I want to tell you this, God has been so gracious to you. Even in the midst of the hardship and the difficulty and the whatever that you're going through. He has been so gracious to you. So, think about this as a motive for evangelism. Think about this as to gauge whether or not you are truly understanding God's grace toward you. And then the third and final question would be this. Have you ever thought about this as a way that God is glorified? You say, I know we should give thanks because it's right that we should do this. It's right that we should give thanks. And it is. I mean, you're you're right about that. It is right. But we should give thanks because... Through that, we're glorifying God. We're glorifying God. Well, well, what does it mean to glorify God? What does that mean? It just simply means this. You acknowledge God for who He truly is. You acknowledge Him for who He truly is. In other words, you're telling the truth. You're telling the truth about God. It means to recognize who He is. It means to recognize His character. That is what it is to glorify God. And I want to tell you, when we are truly glorifying God, when we truly have this heart of gratitude, yeah, sometimes you can't even put it into words. Yeah, sometimes we're, we're on the far end where we're not even acknowledging the goodness of God and the grace of God in our lives. But you know this as well. Sometimes we're on the other side of the spectrum, right? where God's goodness to us and His grace to us, it has just become so real in our life and so so pronounced that, that we just want to say thank you to God. And that, that's just about all we can say. It's just about as good as we can do. But our hearts are so, so overflowing with gratitude and our hearts are so full. And sometimes there's just no way to express it. I can't get out of my mouth what is truly in my heart. And so we just say, God, thank you. Thank you. You've been so good to us. Thank you. How good He has been to you and how good He has been to me. He's been so good. And on top of that, let's think about ourselves. How we did not deserve any of it. None of it. None of it. You think about it. Let me just rattle off a few. You can start with salvation. I'll just start in my own life. Start with salvation. That's where you always have to start with, right? The goodness of God and salvation. But I want to tell you, His goodness to me goes so much farther than that. His goodness to me and the, the, the wife that He has given to me. Much, much more than I deserve, I tell you that. I mean, so good in that. So good in giving me children who are responsive to me. Who are responsive to me. You know, I just read on social media, this is amazing, about men who are bragging that 
I do not have any children who are not Christians. I do not have any grandchildren who have turned away from the faith. I just, just bragging on what they have done and saying this is the result as if they did it. I want to tell you, you, you should never say that. I want to tell you, if your children are responsive to you and the truth that you're teaching in your home, it is not because of you. It is because of God. It is because of the grace of God. It is His grace. And I want to tell you, if you are a mom or a dad of a parent who has responded to that in your home, you should just hit your knees and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I thank you that I have the privilege of giving the truth, but in no way, in no way did I control my child's heart and their response to the truth. God, that was you. That was all you. And so God, I give you thanksgiving for that. I give you praise for that. You'll be glorified for that. So I thank the Lord for that. And then you can just keep piling it up in my life. The, the, the privilege of being able to preach the gospel. I mean, man. And, and, and not just to do that, but to allow me to be part of a church like this. I just praise the Lord to be part of the family of God in this place. And then, and then you can just keep going on. The way He takes care of us, the way He takes care of us uh, physically, the way He takes care of us financially. I mean, you, you, you look at your life and I, I can do this. You can do this as well. And I, and I hope you are thinking about this because when we get together and have our fellowship meal afterwards, we're going to go around all the tables and we want to hear every single person talk about how good God has been to them because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, He has. He has. Whether saved or not, He has been good to you. And so to think even beyond that, I mean, when you're thinking about the goodness of God, I mean, where do you start? Where, where do you finish? You say, well, I hear that coming from you, Pastor, but, but you just don't know my situation. You don't know my home. Listen, just do what that old Baptist song says that I grew up with, many of you grew up with. You know that song, Count Your Blessings? I mean, if you would really just sit down there, count your blessings... You name them one by one, count your blessings, and see what God has done. I mean, if you were to do that, you would be surprised on what the Lord has done. But the problem is we overlook so much of it as if it didn't happen. As if He's not being good to us. As if He's not being gracious to us. But yet He is so good to us. And He is so gracious to us. We have so, so very much to be thankful for. But we will not be thankful for any of it until we understand it is all of grace. It's all of grace. You don't deserve any of it. What sinners deserve, me being a sinner, you being sinners, the whole world being sinners, what we deserve from God, what God owes to us is merely justice. Just simply to know you have broken the law of God and you need the judge to drop the gavel down over your life and say guilty and then for you to go out and then serve the condemnation that is worthy of that guilt. That's fair. That's God treating you fair. You want God to treat you fair? But God's not fair. You want Him to be fair? That's fair. That's what you would expect, right? In our society. Someone breaks the law. Someone goes into your house, steals something. 
You expect the, the police force to do what they do? You expect for the lawbreaker to be hauled up in court? You expect for the judge to be a righteous judge and to drop the gavel guilty as his case is proved? And you expect him to serve the time because he did the crime. And, and, and you will expect that in society, yet people will think about God and think that, well, there's something wrong with that when God does it. But I want to tell you, that is justice. Listen, we don't want God to be fair with us. We don't want God to give us justice. What do we want God to give us? Grace. Grace. We want amazing grace. And when we're given amazing grace, there should be this gratitude that is overflowing in our hearts to Him for all He has done. May that be the case in our lives. And may anyone here in this place who does not know Christ as Savior, may you know today, listen for you, the gates of heaven are open wide. You can come to a Christ today who is more than willing, who would love to save you today. He would love to, to substitute His life for yours. He would love for you to come to Him in faith, trusting in Him, believing in Him, knowing that you are a sinner, knowing you are lost and undone, knowing you will suffer the condemnation that is rightfully yours to suffer. But you don't have to do that. Because there's Christ. And Christ has been willing to take your condemnation on. If you will but merely repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ. You will be wonderfully and radically and miraculously saved this very moment. I encourage you. I exhort you. I plead with you. I, I beg you, if you do not know Christ as Savior today, come to Him now and be wonderfully saved. Let's pray. Oh, Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for Your Word. By the grace You have given to us, May we be a people filled with gratitude, filled with thankfulness. And may we be continually, not just during this time of the year, but may we be continually offering up thanksgiving to you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's by grace through faith that ye are saved. A faith that's not your own not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, the gift of God to you.